Isn't that exciting that uh, almost halfway around the world, sort of, there are uh, people coming to know Christ and uh, they know the same Jesus that we know and we'll see them in heaven. Uh, we praise the Lord for missionaries like John Harris out there starting churches similar to ours. Uh, he's not out there trying to start a big rock band kind of a church, but a Bible-believing conservative music uh, kind of church. We really praise the Lord for, uh, for men like that. Well, our um, Bible study tonight is going to be in the book of Song of Solomon. So if you'd like to find that now, Song of Solomon. I've read through the book of Song of Solomon numerous times. I've read different commentaries on it, and I've studied it myself over the years, but I've never preached the book of Song of Solomon. And so um, I thought it would be... Uh, a worthy Bible study for us. A lot of people have questions about this book. They've read it through and they, they say, ooh, boy, there's things in there. I, wow, mm, what does it mean? Well, we're going to look at that. Now, we're not going to do the whole book tonight. I hope you realize that. There's eight chapters in Song of Solomon. And my goal is to be able to do one chapter each Wednesday night. So for the next two months, or if we've got little interruptions in there, maybe two and a half months or something like that, we're going to study through the uh, book of Song of Solomon. Now, am I all set with the uh, PowerPoint? Is it all ready? All right. <clears throat> well, you may want to take a few notes. Um, if you have a wide-margin Bible, you can put your notes right in your Bible. <coughs> um, also, something else I want you to know up front is uh, it's not going to be an in-depth, verse-by-verse, word-by-word study. We don't do too many of those. We did one of those on uh, Psalm 119. That was a word-for-word -word, uh, study. That took us, uh, what was it, a... Uh, close to a year to get through uh, Psalm 119. But boy, that's a tremendous book. Wow, or, or chapter, I should say, Psalm 119. So we're going to give you more of an overview of this wonderful book here, and it should be a great help for you as you uh, read it on your own and study it. Let's begin now with prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you so very much for your great love wherewith you loved us in that you sent your only begotten Son to die for us on Calvary's cross. Lord, help us never to forget, never to lose the wonder of it all, your wonderful love for us. Please help us to love you more. And as we study the book tonight, the Song of Solomon, please increase our love for you. Our Father, be with us now. Keep your hedge of protection around us and help us to focus in on what you have for us tonight in this chapter. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the uh, title is The Song of Solomon. So that would suggest that the author is who? Solomon. Oh, that was an easy one, right? And uh, in verse 1, 
it says at the end, of the, it says it's, it, it's Solomon's, which is Solomon's. So that gives us further confirmation. This book has also been called Canticles. Canticles is a Latin word. It's plural, and the idea is a song or a hymn. Uh, but this book is also called the Song of Songs. If you look at verse 1, the Song of Songs. Now that suggests that it's the greatest of all songs. That's what that expression means when it says the Song of Songs. It would suggest that it's the, the greatest of, of all songs. And it's almost like how we would say that in the Old Testament temple, you have the, the holy place and then you have the holy of holies. Remember that, yes? Everyone should be nodding their head at that one, yes? You remember that, yes? All right. Don't nod your head the wrong way. That's the wrong way. That's the right way to nod your head. And you've got the Holy of Holies indicating that it's the holiest place of all. Well, here we have the Song of Songs, meaning that it's the greatest of all of the songs. And um, I think that that's noteworthy because I think it gives us an important clue as to what it's doing in the Bible. If you've ever read through Song of Solomon... You know, there are parts you say, oh, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Oh, my, that looks a little racy. What would that be doing in there? And Oh, what does this mean? Well, those are good questions. And on first reading, we naturally have questions like that because as we've read through the books of Moses and the historical books and the book of Psalms and all that, then we get to something like Song of Solomon. It just seems so out of... I don't know, character, why that book would be in there. Well, the uh, great Bible commentator J. Sidlow Baxter said these words, there is no book of scripture on which more commentaries have been written and more diversities of opinion expressed than this short poem of eight chapters. And indeed, there's hundreds of books written out there on the market, hundreds of them, uh, commentaries and so on on the book of Song of Solomon and some of them are very fanciful some of them have the most wild ideas um, one um, particular school of thought believes that Song of Solomon is a, a book that praises the Virgin Mary uh, but that's just one of the uh, the different thoughts out there. Some of them are really fanciful. Now, as I mentioned on first reading of Song of Solomon it suggests the affection uh, that two young married lovers have for each other. But many Bible cons uh, conservative Bible scholars believe that it goes beyond that, far beyond that. Um, Song of Solomon is difficult to understand, and for one reason is because the narrative keeps changing. It's not all just one person speaking. It's this person, then this person, then back to the first person, then this person over here, and then back to the second person, and then a whole new different person. And it keeps changing like that. But Jewish tradition reads it as an allegory of the relationship between God and his people Israel. And to me, this makes more sense as to why it's in the Bible. Again, the very title, the Song of Songs, the greatest of all songs. Uh, remember that Israel is still the apple of God's eye. That's in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. And that's not going to change. 
They are still the apple of God's eye, even with their disobedience. Um, please turn back a few pages to Psalm 45. Would you do that, please? Psalm 45. I'd like to show you something in Psalm 45 that suggests that the purpose of the Book of Song of Solomon is to show God's incredible love for Israel and God and Israel's incredible love for God. In Psalm 45, look at the first two verses. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Look at verse 11. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. For he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. Look at verse 14. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. So this psalm, or at least parts of Psalm 45, kind of reflect uh, the idea that Song of Solomon is dealing with the love between God and Israel, and Israel and God. Myself, after my years of studying it, I think that this, this is closer to the truth than anything else I've read. That, um, well, let me say this. If the overall reason as to why the Song of Solomon uh, in the Bible is meant to describe the love between God and his people, if that's true, then there is a direct application uh, between the love of Christ and his bride, the church. Many preachers, uh, in fact, take this position almost to the exclusion of Israel, which I think is a mistake because God still loves Israel. They're still the apple of his eye. And one day they will come back to him and they will weep and they will love him. Uh, but I think there is an absolute application between the love between Christ and his church. And so therefore, in our study, we want to recognize two things. The Song of Solomon, number one, does appear to have a primary or a first application to the sanctity of love in marriage. This is not some kind of sex outside of marriage. This is uh, real, real love between two people and marriage and um, their intimacy. So we want to recognize that the Song of Solomon has that uh, first application. But I believe that we need to observe a secondary application, and that is God's love for his people and his people's love for him. And so tonight, our first Bible study will uh, give us an overview. We're going to do two things tonight. Number one, we want to get a, a brief overview of the whole book of Song of Solomon, all eight chapters. We're going to get a real brief overview of that. And then number two, we're going to look at chapter one. And we're just going to read through chapter one. In the course of our study, we'll uh, pretty much do one chapter per Wednesday night. And we'll end up reading through each chapter so that by the end of our study, we'll have read through, out loud, read through the entire book of Song of Solomon. So if you don't get anything from the study, if you don't get anything else, at least you will have read that one book in the Bible and you'll be able to pat yourself on the back because of that. Well, for a basic overview 
of, um, of the book. Uh, I'm going to read for you. Um, I'm going to read for you from Dr. Harry Ironside's commentary as he gives the following concise background of the book of Song of Solomon. And I'm going to list these for you. Um, there's about 15 points that cover the entire eight chapters. Number one, can you, can you read that all right? Is it large enough? Can you read it? Yes? No? Anybody need to move up? Move up? What? No. No, please. We have King Solomon has a, vine a vineyard in the hill country of Ephraim, and that's approximately 50 miles north of Jerusalem. He led it out to keepers, consisting of a mother, two sons, and two daughters, the Shulamite. That name comes up again and again, and that appears to be the female lover in the book, and a little sister. The Shulamite was like the Cinderella of the family, naturally beautiful, but unnoticed. Her brothers were likely half-brothers. They made her work very hard, tending to the vineyards so that she had little opportunity to care for her own personal appearance. She pruned the vines and set traps for the little foxes. Do you remember hearing that? It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Remember that? Well, that's in the Song of Solomon. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah. She also kept the flocks. That's right. She kept the flocks. Uh, but being out in the open, she became sunburned. Here we go. Um, yeah, there's more than 15, isn't there? One day, a handsome stranger came to the vineyard. And it was none other than Solomon in disguise. He showed an interest in her, and she became embarrassed concerning her personal appearance. And she thought he was one of the shepherds, and she asked him about his flocks. He answered evasively, but also spoke loving words to her and promised rich gifts for the future. He won her heart and left with the promise that someday he would return. Now, come on, what does that sound like? Anyone? Lord yeah, the Lord Jesus is promised to return for us, doesn't it? So you can see why some preachers really see this just as being Christ and the church. I think there's a definite application. All right. So she dreams of him at night and sometimes thought he was very close by, very near. Finally, he did return in all his kingly splendor to make her his bride. Isn't that sweet? So that's kind of a, a thumbnail sketch. It's a basic overview of the whole book of Song of Solomon. Now... Tonight we're going to examine chapter 1. Chapter 1. So, I'm going to have you read through with me. There's five sections to chapter 1. And I'm going to give you the outline uh, up here on the overhead. You'll be able to see it. Um, 
our study is going to be a little on the shorter side here tonight. But that's okay. You don't mind, do you? So don't blink. It's going to be a bit of a shorter one. <clears throat> All right. Now, as uh, I mentioned earlier, the narrative keeps changing. And you have the narrative changing five times in uh, chapter 1. And we're going to uh, begin reading from verse 2. And you keep your seats, but I want you to have your Bible open. And we're going to start with the first narrative, and it's by Israel. And um, Israel, she speaks to God. And so chapter 1, let's begin at verse 2, and we'll finish at verse 7. Let's read it together. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Pause. Is everybody reading? I don't hear everybody reading. Everybody needs to read, okay? So if you don't have a Bible in front of you, just lean over a bit and look off your neighbor. But everyone needs to raise their voice. Starting here now, verse 3. Because of the Savior of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? So here we have then the voice of Israel uh, speaking to God. Now we have God speaking to Israel. So we'll read from verse 8 to 11. If thou know not, all reading together please, if thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels, thy neck with chains of gold. We will make thee borders of gold with studs of silver. Now, perhaps for us, we'll just stop right there at verse 11. Perhaps for us here in the 21st century living in Canada, some of these uh, descriptions of, um, of um, um, uh, beauty and what he wants to do for her uh, may not make a lot of sense to us, but that's okay. Um, because they, they sure would have made a lot of sense to uh, Israel at that time. Okay, now it's back now to Israel, verses 12, 13, 14, and she now speaks back to God. Let's, let's read together. While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. 
A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. My beloved is unto me as a cluster of campfire in the vineyards of Engedi. Hold on. Just to verse 14. So now this is Israel speaking back to God. Now God speaks back to Israel. Verse 15 only. Here we go. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. And uh, then the narrative changes back to Israel. Verses 16 and 17. Let's read that. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved. Yea, pleasant. Also our bed is green. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters of fir. And we're going to stop right there because that's chapter 1. But already you can see that there is five conversations going on here. And again, it's between uh, Israel and God, God and Israel, Israel and God, God and Israel, Israel and God, back and forth. But if this indeed is a uh, letter that goes beyond, that transcends beyond the, uh, the love of two um, uh, married people, uh, the sanctity of marriage and so on, if this transcends beyond that indeed to the love of God for his people, then there is an absolute application between the love of Christ for us, his church. And sometimes we, we don't fathom enough the love of God for us. And we see, well, there's a Calvary. Jesus died for us on Calvary. There's the promises of God where he says he loves us. But that's why I think we need a book like the book of Song of Solomon here. Because it's so uh, intimate. It's actually refreshing to uh, look at the, uh, the intimacy of the love that um, goes between these two. Because this is the kind of love that God has for us. So the, uh, the Song of Solomon is, um, I think it's, it, it's absolutely in the Bible to help illustrate for us the great love that God has for, for you and I. Now in chapter 1 here, we can see the desire that Israel had or was supposed to have towards God. And in fact, I think there was a time in Israel's life where they really, really loved God, where they uh, really knew Him and really loved Him and really worshipped Him. And of course, throughout history, there's been individuals within Israel that have loved God that much. As a nation, I think that there was a time uh, in their early, earlier years maybe where they really loved the, the God that much. Really, really. That seemed to... Um, fall by the wayside. Um, Jesus, God in the flesh, came to them. They said, we will not have this man rule over us. And of course, judgment fell on Israel. They've been on the back burner for some 2,000 years. Folks, it won't be long before they're back on the front burner. God still loves Israel. God is certainly not finished with Israel. The church is only a, a stopgap measure, if you will. But world attention is going to go back onto Israel. And there will come a time, I believe, closer to the end of the tribulation, where they'll really recognize that uh, Jesus is God, their Messiah, and the tremendous love that God has for them. 
So that is coming again. So again, in chapter 1, we see this tremendous desire that Israel has toward God. Now, my question for you tonight is a simple one. Can you honestly say that you have a great desire toward God? You know that God loves you. And you say, well, he's God. He's supposed to love us. And I know that if I asked you, do you love God? You'd say, yes, I do. Because you'd be very appreciative of all what God has done for you. But shouldn't it go beyond that? Just like a, a, a couple married, shouldn't they love each other? Uh, and shouldn't their love go beyond the fact that he may bring her flowers and candy? And that it should go beyond the fact that she does nice things for him, gives him a back massage or something. Uh, shouldn't their love go far beyond those things? And yet our love for God... You see, well, why do you love God? Well, we say, well, he died for me and provides my daily bread and, you know, answers my prayers. And these are things he does for us. And I'm not saying to stop loving God uh, for those reasons. Those are good reasons to love God. But our love needs to far transcend those things. We need to love him for who he is, for his love for us. Remember, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us and we were the the lost sinners we were the ones dead in sin and trespass he's the one who came looking for us and so my question is a simple one can you honestly say that you have a desire for God in your heart like this desire here tonight now we said that the the first primary application, perhaps, of the Song of Solomon was this uh, sanctity of marriage and great affection between a husband and wife. And you can see the tremendous affection that she had toward him. Would you say that you have at least that much affection toward God? Now, a lot of us, to be honest, we'd say, well, I don't think I could do that. I mean, I love God uh, for the things he's done. I really like him. But this kind of tremendous affection that we will see more and more as we go through all eight chapters, we'll see it. I mean, it's just going to wash over you like a tsunami. It's going to hit you. The tremendous love and the word pictures they use for each other. But to acquire such a great desire, a consuming desire of your heart for God... It's more than just, uh, you know, saying, Lord, I love you. Uh, thank you for everything you've done for me. Um, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm talking about a, a love for God that, that moves in your heart, that brings tears to your eyes. That's the kind of love spoken of here in Song of Solomon. Can you honestly say that you have that? Now, how do we develop such a great desire for God? Maybe... Maybe some of us, or maybe most of us here tonight, I don't know, uh, would say, boy, I wish that I could love God with tears. I wish that I could, I could have a heart that just would just explode with love and devotion for God like, like I've never known before. So how can I develop that? Well, there's only one way, and that's by meeting with Jesus every day in your prayer closet. You know, the sad thing that happens to a lot of married couples, um, they start the marriage with lots of love and affection. But given a year, 
two years, five years, sometimes 10 years, and you know what? They're like two strangers living under the same roof. Isn't that sad? It happens more often than we realize because he gets real busy, she gets real busy, and then slowly, it's like the honey drips out of the honeymoon. They don't spend time with each other like they used to. And so people change. That's what people do. They're always changing. You're not the same person you were five years ago, 10 years ago. You've changed. I've changed. And in order for married couples to stay passionately in love, they have to spend time together. It has to be daily. It can't be once a month. It's got to be daily. They got to spend time together. Otherwise, it just becomes a business contract. They're like two strangers living under one roof, held together by a piece of paper, a business contract called a marriage license. And so the same way that a husband and wife can develop unbelievable love and devotion and full of affection for each other is the same principle that we can develop a heart that just melts with love for our, our God and our Savior. And that's by spending time with Jesus every day. Did you spend time with him this morning? Did you get up a little early or do whatever you had to do in order to spend some time with him? And I don't mean 30 seconds of, you know, reading a verse or, you know, letting your finger, what's my verse for the day? I don't mean that. And then saying the same prayer you say every single day, uh, Lord, bless me today. Protect me. Thanks for the grub. Uh, help me to be a blessing. Thanks for the missionaries. Amen. And it's like you're reading it out of a book. That was the real downfall of not just the Pharisees and Sadducees, but also a lot of the mainline denominations. They put their prayers in a book. And they gave them to their people, say, here's the book of common prayer. And people grew up with the idea that the way you talk to God is out of a little book of prayers. And that's not the way, is it? Not at all. So you have to examine your heart tonight. This little study on the book of Song of Solomon really ought to move your heart. It's a heart book. You can't study it without having your heart spoken to. I think melted, really. And in conclusion, how do we develop a great heart for God? I mean, flowing, uh, bubbling over heart for God, eyes that water up with tears as we think of our Savior. How do we develop a heart like that? It's by paying the cost every day, spending time with the Lord. And one simple formula, if you will, is you're going to need a Bible. You're going to need a, a little place to meet with God and maybe a devotional book. For me, the devotional books that I like are books that are generally that are on the subject of prayer, that teach me about prayer. But you can get a devotional book uh, on uh, different subjects, uh, but anything that's going to help teach you more about God. You read a chapter or two out of your devotional book. And then you read uh, a few chapters or you give it 15 or 20 minutes of Bible reading. And then you get on your face before God. And you may, begin, you may need to begin with uh, a lot of repentance as the Holy Spirit starts bringing to your mind 
ways in which that you've been disobedient. You need to ask God's forgiveness on these things and even learn to weep over your sin and then begin to praise and worship Him. And the Holy Spirit will lead you in this. And it won't take very long. You'll begin to change. You'll, be, you'll start looking forward to your secret closet times with Jesus because you'll really start meeting with God. And that's what God wants, is He wants the intimacy. And that's what the book Song of Solomon teaches us. And so with that in mind, let's close in prayer and we'll continue our service tonight.